Welcome to Altered Fates. My name is Abla El Sharnoubi. Altered Fates is a podcast about turning points and how we choose to navigate them. Each episode, I invite a guest to tell me about a moment in their lives where events conspired to instigate change and propel them forward. In this episode, I talk to Andrea Triana. Andrea is a singer-songwriter and a dear friend. She's had releases on Ninja Tune, been an Ivan Novello Award judge and collaborated with the likes of Flying Lotus, Bonobo and DJ Zinc, to name a few. She's also one of the most resilient, hardworking and inspiring people I know, always striving to achieve her potential and to be a kinder, more supportive friend. Hope you enjoy. Andrea Triana. Hello. Welcome to Altered Fates. Pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. It is, it is so lovely to have you here. You and I are really good friends, so it's kind of strange because I feel like I know everything there is to know about you, but yeah. I'm going to try and delve deep yep. today. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Let's, let's go. go there. <laughs> let's go there. Okay. Um, so before we talk about your turning point, we're mm-hmm. going to talk about a turning point, uh, a moment in your life that propelled you forward somehow mm-hmm. and brought you to where you are. But before we do that... I want to ask you, do you believe in fate? I do, yes. Um, and what does fate mean to you? So fate to me is more kind of, it's it's combined with action. So it's in the doing of me doing something. And the fate is the magic that happens from the doing. Okay. So, you know, that could be me working on loads of tracks and then meeting somebody, for instance, um, and it's the action that gets me in the room with that person. But it's As the in, fate. It's, it's you working on the tracks. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And the, oh, you should go to this or do this. And it's like, okay, yeah. And the action is the going and the doing and the being. But the fate and the magic is the being there and the things that spring from that. So do you feel like it's kind of a collaborative thing between you and the universe yes as in you do your bit yes <laughs> yeah cool. I think so and it is it is what I would call the universe as well you yeah know? I take care of my part of the bargain and the universe is like I got you girl I got you girl I'll take it from here <laughs> you done good <laughs> yeah hand me the baton yeah exactly in the relay race <laughs> <laughs> awesome so as we said we're going to talk about uh, uh an altered fate, a moment that kind of altered your fate. So where did that story start for you? When did you know that you wanted to be a singer? Oh, I always knew. Yeah? I always knew. It was never a thing. I just remember getting the opportunity to sing a solo at primary school or nearly getting the opportunity and then feeling so upset because it didn't happen. No. And then they brought a karaoke machine in after school, like the play center after school. And um, I really got into like Lisa Stansfield's Been Around the World. <laughs> <laughs> that was my tune. That was my joy. That was a big tune back in the Boom, day. right? Um, so I just loved it. I just loved it. I just came alive and I just had this thing. Like I just wanted to share it so much. And it's so funny. I look back and think... You know, it never crossed my mind that people might not like it. I really didn't have that. Really? No, I really didn't. It really didn't cross my mind that people might not be like, oh, she's not very good. Oh, <laughs> you were like, really... I have got something to share with <laughs> I you. Know. Just sit down. I've got this thing. It's going to be great. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. it's And, you know, I, I guess it's just pure naivety, which I'm so glad that I had, you know, because if, if I would have had that self-consciousness, which I did have in certain parts, but... If I'd have really had that and been super conscious of what other people were thinking, then I wouldn't have. Do you know, I wonder, though, if that feeling of, of not 
the kind of like imperative of it is an I've got to do this. I think that comes when you know that you you can do something. Yeah. I think we all have a sense of, you know, mm. you know what we've got to offer sort yeah. of thing. So it's really interesting you say that. So how old were you when this solo situation happened? Oh goodness, I must have been about 7 or 8. Wow. Yeah, 7 so or 8 really and then little. Really small, you know, just like busting to dance on the table and make plays for my mum and oh my twirl God. around and you know just all of that uh, sort that was, of stuff. That's brilliant. And were you encouraged? Were they like, get up on the table, Dre? And they're like, <laughs> sit down, Dre's I mean, got another show. <laughs> like, oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. You know, my mum was really awesome, actually. You know, she's a fantastic singer herself. Does she still, does she sing now? She sit. my mum is a habitual singer and dancer. Really? So, you know, it's, it's really cool. But at the same time, because it's my mum, it's really embarrassing. But she will literally just like break into dance anywhere, break into song at any really? point. Yeah, man. She'll just be like putting stuff in the washing machine and just be like riffing and singing all kinds of whatever. You know, that's that's my mum. So my mum will always sing. And my grandma, exactly the same. My grandma's always got this like church voice, like a... Aww. Like while she's singing, you know, while she's in the kitchen cooking. And that'll always be flowing through the house like her... Uh, Sunday hymns. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I've yeah. seen you bust out a dance move or two. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> Got it from my mama. <laughs> yeah, apple doesn't fall <laughs> up in the tree. That's where it began, you know, and that's, uh, so music was so integral to me. And then even before that, it began before I was even born. My mum used to play steel drum um, in these amazing steel drum collectives that play in Notting Hill Carnival and used to tour. Wow. She used to play classical pieces Goodness. on the steel drum and tour all over Europe. You know, so like I was in the womb <laughs> when she was when she was doing this. You stuff. were marinating in steel drum uh, yeah, music. Yeah, I was, I was, and even my vocal coach said to me, like, "Did you grow up with some kind of world music? Because there seems to be some kind of like thing in your pitch where you like you do a certain thing when there's this note." And I was like, "What? Really? Whoa. Wow, that's fascinating." And that totally would have come from the steel drum and the, the you know the church music and the hymns. So I feel like that is the very, very beginning. Sure. That's, that was the fabric that made me. So music was a huge part of your kind of family life. Yeah. In the sense that it was always present in, in yeah. the home. and Yeah. Nobody in my family had pursued really anything creative, even though I come from a very crea naturally creative mm. family. You know, I've come from like the Windrush generation, yeah. the second generation Windrush. And the thing was to just... Do something practical. Get your head down. Get your head down, do a nine to five so that you can get a mortgage and pay the bills. So I think I was definitely the only one in my family, if not, and I come from a massive family, who I knew I had to do something, you know, and my mum was supportive, but you know, my household was that you should do something technical. It should be an IT or whatever. That's a sure bet, you know. Um, so, so a career in music is not viable. And then I really distinctly remember thinking that there are people making money and having a career in music. It's possible. It's not like I'm saying I want to turn into a goldfish and live on the moon. <laughs> like, in that, you I know, still wish you had to. I know, right? <laughs> you know, so you know, it's, it's so I just kind of thought there are people out there doing it. So there's, and I, I distinctly remember thinking as well, there's no reason why that can't be me. That's and amazing. I, I thought that from a really young age, like early, early teens. I find that really incredible that you had that kind of like tenacity and like mm. clarity of purpose even mm. from a young age especially when it wasn't common in your family because I think that kind of sort of family pressure can be quite can be quite strong you yeah, know yeah yeah um 
But I think it goes back to like what I was saying. It's like when you know, when you yeah, know, you know, and you're it. just like, and it yeah. was just that thing of the sharing. You know, like I just really felt I just wanted to share this thing that I love so much. Yeah, I wanted to take any opportunity that I could get to share it, no matter how scary or how petrified I felt or like stage fright, or I wanted to be sick a week before a gig. <laughs> like I would turn up and I would do it. I just had to. Yeah. You know, there was no bailing out of it. It's just in you. Again, it's the magic. It's the universe. Totally, totally. Yeah. And uh, and I think when when you find that thing that you're meant to do, you do get help. You know, it's yeah. sort of things things yeah. align. Yeah, um, no doubt, no doubt. Um, so, and on, on, on that subject of things aligning, like I know before we get to your, your turning point, um, you know, you went to the Red Bull Academy. Mm -hmm. I had graduated from Leeds Met. I was an awful student, but I managed to scrape by. <laughs> Don't always need a degree, by the way. <laughs> you know. I can't imagine you being an awful student. Oh, mate. You're so diligent. I you know, I worked hard outside of university <laughs> in the classroom. However, that was not my forte. Not so much. Okay. Um, so I graduated. I'd moved to London. I'd had this horrific year. I'd had a breakup. Ban had ended. It was just a bad time mm. in my life. Mm -hmm. I was struggling. I was at the lowest of the lowest of the low. Like, I felt like I was in the gutter. Like, emotionally, mentally, physically, I felt at the bottom. Wow. So I basically came back to Leeds with my tail between my legs, was doing all manner of temp jobs. I fixed printing machines. I live, I worked in a basement in a, like, in part of the, like, the university, clearing out files for two weeks this room had no windows no no air nothing wow. i worked for an insurance company Dude, i did not know any of this <laughs> yeah mate i you know wow. i just i did whatever i had to do to basically make sure i had enough money for food like it, it was rough so basically doing all of these really really soul destroying jobs which they were at the time but i was thankful they paid the rent and my dear friend kid Knievel, who I love very much, said to me, mate, you've got to come to this thing at the Hi-Fi. The Hi-Fi was a club that we'd all go to. Um, you know, the Red Bull Academy are there and they're doing a talk about, you know, the next year's academy and you should come along. And I was like, cool, okay. Anyway, finished late from my soul-destroying job. Dash time, got ready and was just like, oh my goodness, I am so late. Right. I'm going to miss this entire thing. Um, but it was like, oh, sorry, I'll just go anyway. So ended up going. Hadn't missed anything, got there perfectly on time. Heard the whole talk about the Academy, which is basically 30 people from all around the world, all brought to one place in the world to collaborate and make music and you have to apply. Um, and I remember speaking to one, the, one of the guys that had been a participant the year before, a few years before, and he said, you know, you should really go for it. We need more women. And I was just like, okay. I'm going to go for it. And I put my heart and my soul into that application. Right. Um, applied and had a, a gut-wrenching few months wait. A few months? A few months. God. Yep. I was at work, my soul-destroying job, office job, <laughs> paying the rent, could have food, you know, <laughs> came home, checked my hotmail and the subject line said, you got it. And I basically got flown out to Australia for two weeks to make music with the most inspiring people I'd ever met. It changed my life. So this is a setup where you are in a spot where there's just a bunch of studios and you're yeah. in and out of all the studios. In and out, collaborating. Collaborating, the writing. Writing, there's shows every night. There's graffiti artists coming in there that are done like amazing art everywhere. You're basically immersed in 
culture and you can't it's not it's not just about music you know it's a deeper thing than that it's about the sharing of knowledge it's about history it's about like it's it's everything it's everyone from all over the world bringing their part of the world into this one space um it was so powerful, you know, and people ask me to this day, like, oh my goodness, like, describe it, what yeah. was it like? And you really can't. No, and sure. and everyone that I was, it, that was in my term, it's the same. Like, we all say the same thing. It's like, you just would have had to have been there. It's like being around Jimi Hendrix in the 60s or something, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you can watch the films and you can hear about it, but it, you just... But yeah. even, you know, even without being to, able to describe it, just, just thinking about that, you in Leeds, working a shit job, hustling, trying to, you know, trying to make ends meet, thinking I want to do this music thing, but it must have felt quite far away, like being able to do that as a job at that point. Yeah. Because you were, you know, striving yeah. so hard just to survive and and then getting flown out to this place. Yeah. Dream situation, you know, mm. absolutely neck deep in like music and, and creativity and, and, you know, what came out of that was... What came out of that was a track that I wrote. I remember writing it phonetically because I just heard the melody so strong in my gut. Um, it was Tea Leaf Dancers that was written with, with Flying Lotus. And we literally managed to grab, I'm sure, max, max, max. It wasn't even two hours in the studio. Wow. He had the beat on a CD and he's just like, hey. And everyone was collaborating. So we were all doing like 10 million different tracks. Um and he was like, hey, I got this beat. And I was like, cool. And I just heard the, if you want to stay, da, da, da. like I really heard it so strongly like that. And I remember like writing it, dash, 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 dash. Yeah. Um, I wrote it on the spot and then that was it. And, you know, thought, cool, that was fun. And then came <laughs> home and that track completely blew up on yeah. the underground. So Giles Peterson was all over that. Like, it was I mem- I didn't know you then. And I remember listening to it wow. and going, dad, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> amazing it was amazing um and that's the that's kind of the magic thing that you were talking about it's the magic you know that's the magic the action is the you know the shit job and the hustling and the magic is turning up yeah turning up and putting yourself in the space where the magic can happen 100 percent. okay that's amazing that's uh i mean just that's a hell of a story (laughs) (laughs) but um but I know that there was another turning point that, that really kind of um, shifted things forward for you. Mm. So tell us about that. Where did, what happened? What was the lead up to that happening? Yeah. Give us a little, paint a picture. Paint. Well, I feel like there was like, there's the big turning point and there's the pre-turning point. Yeah. Which one do we want? The pre or I the mean, big one? I mean, tell us all of them, man. I'll like, tell you the pre one. Tell me the pre So one. these are the things leading up to the big one. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Okay. So I guess the next thing would have been, so from there... Um, from the Fly Low track, Tea Leaf Dancers, things started popping off, which was awesome. Major labels were like contacting me. I want to meet you for lunch. And then I met these like super dry guys. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. Mm, you are not my people. You are not my people. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the free lunch but amazing though. amazing that you had such like, again, like to be honest, like at that point, someone else would have been like, ding, you know, like, Wow, these people want to talk to me, but you were pretty clear on where you what where you wanted to be in the music yeah. kind of landscape. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I just I think everything up until that point had just been like gut and instinct yeah. and naivety, which mm. I think it is the most beautiful thing. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, I guess after that point, the next thing was, I guess it would be Cy Bonobo hearing yeah. that track. Right. So I had moved to Brighton. 
after this, after the Red Bull Academy and everything, just felt like my time in Leeds was done. Mm. Um, and yeah, just ended up hanging out with him and also knew that I would end up collaborating with him too. I just heard like loads of people around me who just mentioned him loads of times. And I was just like, this guy just keeps like cropping his name up. just keeps cropping up over and over and over. Um, yeah. And we just ended up like hanging out because of our mutual friends. Yeah. And Brighton. Um, I end up just covering some gigs because he's saying I can't make it. And then I end up just like hanging out and making some music. And then he's just like, oh, I've got this track and cool. Okay. And I ended up featuring on all the three singles of his Black yeah, Sands album. Yeah. And I wasn't even meant to feature on that album at all. And then he ends up producing my first album. Yeah. And that was, I mean, you know, that album, I know that album is hugely loved by so many oh people. Oh my God. It it's really, it's it, really overwhelming. Like, it, well, overwhelming. I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like, you know, that's the highest you can ask for. Like, you know, success, I've, I've redefined success for myself recently. So that's an internal thing. But I have to say, like, you know, when you create something from your gut and your soul, mm. the highest you can ask for externally is for it to connect, you know, in a really authentic, deep way sure. to, to someone else. So, and that's the highest you can ask for. Absolutely. Whether that's one person, 10 people, whatever. But, you know, the fact that it's also been like, people say to me, oh, I got, when I got married, this was our first song, or oh. this reminds me of my first date, or this, you know, like it's, th that soundtrack to the like big moments in people's moments lives. Like I have, ever. you know, like I have for other songs, you know. Um, it's it's really it's incredible again i couldn't ask for anything more i think you and i have talked about this but that balance between doing something creative and, and to, it has to be to, for it to be good it has to be authentic and mm. for it to be authentic you sort of can't think about anyone else yeah. and yet you make some, music is made to be listened to and mm. that balance of like just trying to block out the voices and like the kind of the thoughts about what, how it's going to be received or, you know, what people mm. are going to think of it and how it fits into the musical landscape and, and just doing something at the pure kind of essence of, you know, whatever idea mm. you've had or, mm. and then waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, leaving you know. it to the fate, leaving yeah. it to the magic. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So that was the small turning point leading up to the big turning the point. The big turning point. Yeah. So it's funny actually, cause like the small turning points were probably huge, but I mean, this is the one for me that really sticks out. Yeah. Which is, so these, these things were bubbling. The Bonobo stuff was happening, Flylo, whatever. Um, and I, get a message on myspace because it's all about myspace at the time <laughs> good old myspace i get a message from this guy from the czech republic saying you know um we'd really i heard your your flying lotus track i'd really love for you to come and write some songs for the o2 christmas uh tv campaign and sing on it um and i was just like this isn't true. This guy has no profile pictures, no <laughs> followers. I can't trust this. It's not legit. I do not believe you. I do not believe you. Um, <laughs> so he was going to fly to the Czech, Czech Republic? Czech Republic, yep, to just come and write these jingles for O2. Um, and I totally didn't believe it, but it ended up being legit. And, you know, the main crux of it is I went and did this thing, which was really hard work. I was totally out of my depth. <laughs> but it just paid me enough money at that time to completely sack it, jack, like jack in my um, soul destroying jobs and do music full time. And I literally like 
I did the action. I chucked out all of my office clothes. Wow. I called my mum. I was like, this is it. I'm doing music full time. Um, and I've always had this saying like, plan B is to work harder at plan A, which is music. Wow. You know, there was no backup. There was no, well, if it doesn't work out, then I'll whatever. Or I've got my office closed. So I know that I can get a temp job if in three, that did not even factor. It's like, you know, rent is paid for the next X amount of months. This is it. And from that point on, after the rent can't be paid, I'm going to have to find a way musically to make it happen. And both that's, feet in. Both feet in. And that's been over 10 years now. And I've not had to do that's a shitty job ever since. That's that's really amazing because, you know, you and I, I mean, you're, in a, you're a very successful artist, okay. um, but it's not easy to make money from music. No. It really isn't. There yeah. are lots of amazing artists out there who, who can't yeah. do that. Yeah. What do you think it was that, that, I mean, obviously you, you had a bit of a springboard from that job. Yeah. But what was it that happened after that that allowed you to continue? Do you, you know, I really, I, we, I really wish I could just say, you know, oh, things just started to come in. Well, they did. Mm. But also I remember really distinctly being in my bedroom in Brighton, just not like not being able to get out of bed because I felt so horrendous that I couldn't pay my bills. And it was like that for a long time. Okay. Like the stress, you know, I really know what it is to not be able to just provide the basics for yourself. Mm. Um, and for me, like you don't feel like a full human being. No, like sure. if I've just got 10 pounds for food for the week and it's not a money thing. It's a dignity it's, thing. It's a dignity yeah. thing. You know, like I want to be able to eat well. I want to be able to pay my bills. Sure. It doesn't feel good to have to ask for money or to have handouts or, you know, I, I know how that feels. Um, so, you know, there were just months of just having to flipping weather the storm. That was it. That was it. And I actually remember at one point just being in bed, like, you know, under the covers feeling like complete shit. And my phone going and Sai going, oh, mate, there's a tour. There's a, there's a, there's a, there must be like a, a run of like Europe gigs. Do you want to come and do it? And I was just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, you know? And then slowly but surely it did, it did happen. I ended up getting signed to Ninja, ended up touring Europe loads, loads with my own stuff, toured all over America with Sai. Incredible. All over Australia. Um, but there, it was, it was hairy for, you know, very hairy. <laughs> And would you say, like, because, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, like, what obstacles have you had to overcome? Would you say that that is it? The, yeah. the yeah. stop-start-iness of the income and the... I, I feel like I look back and I, I feel like this is my one piece of, like, knowledge and advice to anybody wanting to get into anything creative, mm. which is sometimes I don't... It's about talent. There's no doubt about that. Sure. You have to bring something to the table that is unique and is you. But sometimes I feel the difference between the people that make it or go to the places they want to and the people that don't are just the ones that have the the, the, the strength and the tenacity to stick to stick out the, the tough times. That's the difference. Absolutely. That's the difference because I know people way a billion times more talented than me, you know, that unfortunately haven't done the things that I've done for whatever reason. And I think that's it. I just... Yeah, I, I mean, like I always, I always mention this, this one thing to you because it, you know, I think about it so, so often, and it's, it stayed with me since it happened, which is maybe fifteen years ago yeah. when you and I first became friends, staying over at your house one night and getting into bed and putting my head on the pillow and on the side of your bedside table, you just taped up this bit of paper that said "Do the work." Yeah, and 
And, you know, I was just like, shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a bedtime reminder every right. night. Like, and first thing in the morning. And I had another one. So when I was living in the little box room, I had faith, focus and belief written in massive letters. So the f- when I woke up, that's the first thing that I saw. And I just think little things like that really, really helped me. Really helped me. I mean, to be honest, like you are one of the most kind of driven, diligent people I know. Truly, like, I find it, you know, I find you so inspiring in that way because you are always grafting, always striving to get closer to to the things that you want. Mm. And those things change all the time as Mm. well, you know, which I absolutely love Mm. about you. Um, But it's amazing to me that, you know... Were you like that as a child? Would you say that that's like a a character trait of yours? What kid were you at school? (laughs) I, you know what, I, I think, I mean, I was a good kid. Yeah. I wasn't the kid that was getting in trouble. No. I was the kid that was just like, I got on with my, my shit, you know. I did well. I didn't do amazing, amazing, but mm. I did well. Um, I did good. I, but I really think that, you know, the roots of that come from being in a single parent family. Mm. It was just me and my mum for a good few years. She had me as a teenager. And so she really instilled in me just, you know she wasn't going to pick up after me and do things for me. I had to do it for myself. You want something. If you, you want something, you have to work for it. Yeah. You know, and although I didn't have, I didn't see my dad that often, he was kind of in and out, but that's what I saw him do. You know, I saw him have masses of boxes of whistles in the back of his Volvo <laughs> and he'd like, you know, take me to the Notting Hill Carnival, bung 200 whistles on me and be like, tax free income, darling. I'll see you this afternoon. <laughs> You're kidding me. And I'd be like, no, oh no. You know, but by the end of the day, my pockets would be full of pounds. You did coins. it. You sold the whistles. I sold the whistles. Wow. My pockets would literally be like bulging with pound coins. He'd hand me a whole wad of money. You know, he was very much like, you get down on your hands and knees and you build it you yourself. Hustle. Yeah. You hustle. You make it happen. Amazing. So I'm so thankful to have seen that in some way, shape, or form because sometimes I feel like. If you don't see that, even if it's not anything that you want to do, you know, I didn't see anyone creatively grafting, but I knew what graft was. Sure. You know, sure. I knew that you just had to get your hands dirty. I knew that it was going to be rough. You know, there's um, there's a, in psychotherapy, there's like a theory um, about like, you know, the kind of wounds that you inflicted on you in childhood. Mm. And there's the wound of too little, which is where you're, mm. you know, not given enough. And there's the wound of too much. And I think sometimes when people don't have to graft at all yeah it 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 can be equally damaging you know it's like you know you you had that kind of you had that example set for you and Mm. and you know sometimes it's a bit scary when you're a kid but if it instills that grit in you then yeah you know it can take you far yeah absolutely Absolutely. taking me all over the world (laughs) (laughs) and I think also like going back to what you were saying about being both feet in you Mm. know making creating time for the thing that you want to do even Mm. if you're not gigging or writing you're thinking about it you're thinking right who can I contact who can I you know it's creating a space in your life for that thing to kind of precipitate like to happen I feel like my greatest achievement is being born with some kind of gift you know, I I don't know whether it's a gift or a feeling and doing whatever I had to do to honor it. That's what I feel like my biggest achievement is. I didn't ignore it. I may have like taken some wrong roads and got some shit wrong, absolutely. And it's no, there's no getting shit wrong. It's just sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I know 
in my absolute gut and my soul that every damn day I have absolutely done, I've showed up and I've done the work. Amazing. And, you know, whatever comes out of that, it's awesome. And a, a key to that, I think, is accepting whatever comes out of it. Yeah, and you that's know, hard. Yeah, that's it's hard really hard. That's hard sometimes. That's yeah. hard sometimes. And I feel like, you know, for my first album, you, I, I was so naive and so innocent. And you just, you know, and I wrote a whole album with literally like five or six chords. And then so I, you know, brought it to life. Mm. And then... And then from there, I was just like, whoa, and it got a bit more wobbly. And then my second album was like, you know, writing stuff in New York and LA, and I felt really kind of intimidated. And my third album, I, th I think I felt a real sense of like, you know what you were saying earlier about whether it feels good to you or mm. other people. And my brain was purely in this pla the place of satisfying other people. Right. I didn't function in that dynamic, mm. you know? So that's what I'm saying, even though it even though it kind of went haywire or whatever I still at the time did the best that I could I wasn't just like I'm not going to do this or I'm just you know even though it was tough it was just something that had to be done in that way for me to get to where I am now absolutely that was just the next step on your journey yeah and like you know going back to the like the difference between your first sec the, the process of writing your first second and third albums like because you know also, we've talked about this mm. in the past, you know, about how that first album, and I remember when you were writing that album, I remember mm. I remember walking home with you mm -hmm. one New Year's mm -hmm. Eve, it's mm -hmm. freezing, and yes. it was like four it was in cold. the morning. We would have had cute outfits on. We, and we, we had, had heels, heels on. Yes, we would. <laughs> and it was a really like bitterly cold night, and it was about three in the morning, and we were walking home talking about you writing this album, and I remember you saying to me that you were like, sometimes I just feel really terrified and I think I don't I don't know what I'm doing like I yeah you know yeah but I, I guess I think self-consciousness is the ultimate enemy of creativity yeah. isn't yeah. it because you know it's like a it's like a cage you can't yeah. you can't be free you can't mm. you know completely express yourself and um you and do you but like you say it I know that after your first album, I think a lot of people wanted you to make another album that sounded just like that. Yeah. Maybe with Psy and, mm. you know, the same thing. And you were like, couldn't do done it. done that now. Yeah, couldn't do it. And yeah. I think, you know, so, and that's also one thing that I feel really good about, even though I've kind of gone in really different directions. Um, I really knew in my gut, like I've done that and I feel like there's more out there for me. Mm. And I want to see what this bigger world is. And I want to dip my toe in and I want to, learn and that's what i d did over the next you know t two albums again like traveling to like new york and la and working with some incredible people um it was such a learning curve and i also i feel like that again i had to go through that because now i feel like i'm in a space where it's just armed me with all these incredible tools i know how to write a left field electronic track i know how to write a pop track i know how to write a hook within the you know with the tools that i have right now of course i'm still learning that never stops yeah of course but i'm so grateful to have like literally seen the lay of the land a little bit more as opposed to like this is what i do and that's it and I look back now and I just think I feel so proud of just like the different genres that I've tried and the different people that I've worked with. I haven't pigeonholed myself in as this one thing. Right. Um, and all of that, all of those different genres, all of those different experiences ultimately now feed what you're doing. You know, yeah. they all yeah. and you've got a bunch of tools in your in your knapsack. In my back. You're like, <laughs> I'm gonna get my pop tool out. <laughs> 
<laughs> get my left field electronic yeah right yeah right exactly and I think also like the, the experience of just walking into a room with a total stranger and creating something mm. I mean that must be terrifying and when you first start when you first started going to LA and New York and like walking into sessions with people what were you like what was that uh, I like? mean you're working with people that like at the time had written some of the biggest hits ever I mean wow. and you know you literally just like step into their I mean they've got like mansions the studios are ridiculously incredible with like platinum discs all all over every wall and you know me from <laughs> from London originally who done like one album was just like holy shit <laughs> I felt really out of my depth and and I think it does one of two things you know it's always going to push you, which is always a good thing. Mm. Um, but sometimes I also think, I'm not sure if it gets the best out of you if you don't feel fully yourself. You know, if you don't feel, and I guess you, it's up to you how, if you feel fully yourself, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't feel like I could just kick my shoes off, get out my pen and paper, you know, and just, I just didn't feel that. I just felt like, you know, on edge and I'm in the presence of greatness, you know, when really music isn't about that. It's about sharing. It's about creating a space for everybody to bring something to the table equally. Of course. And you look, and now, and you know, as an outsider and also looking back, of course, you wouldn't have been in that room if you didn't have something to offer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the knowing, but it's isn't the it? Knowing, it's the exactly. knowing, yeah. But it, then that, that comes with hindsight. And, yeah. you know, I think you would have had to be, incredibly confident to be able to kick off your shoes yeah. in those first sessions and just I did like, not have that <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, no. I don't know I really don't know many people that would like right yeah oh my goodness and also like the other thing is like you had been writing you'd written an album you'd written the way you know like we were just saying like mm. in a little bubble no expectation you just did it the way that you knew how to do it at the time mm. and you know you walk into a room like that and you think, mm, but what if the way I do it isn't the way people do it? Yeah, do you know what I mean? And yeah, like, that's it. It's That's it. And it, again, it makes you kind of like, you know, just pick up your game a bit more, but yeah. then it also makes you just come out with stuff that's just not you. Right. You know, it's like, this is good in this space and this is what this person who knows what's good says it's good. But ultimately, if it doesn't feel good to you, and I think that's been the lesson for me, you know, I think I've definitely put myself in places where I'm like, I would never say that, and but it's a good melody or, you know, and, and that's the lesson, you know, creativity and careers are never this one linear thing. They're fluid, you know, they, they change shape, you change shape and putting yourself in the public domain is not, it's a really hard job and you can get really self-conscious. And I think, you know, when you're talking about authenticity mm. and inauthenticity, it's not like you're, when you're out there and it's someone that doesn't seem authentic, I think they're just trying their best. They're just trying their best. And sometimes you don't know how and you don't, yeah, you just don't know how. So I just think that's what I, from, from going on this journey so far, that's how I feel, mm. you know, that you are in this public d domain and it, sometimes it's hard to, to strip and be like, I'm, you know, I'm fine just as I am. You don't, you know, we're human beings. You feel so self-conscious. So you're judging yourself more than anything. Mm. Um, so really, you know, whether someone seems inauthentic or not, like I just really applaud anyone who's putting themselves out in the public domain because it's not easy. Not as easy as it looks. No People way, no way. Go, oh. Yeah, and when you're in there, like, you know, like Brene Brown says, like when you're in the ring, when you're in the arena, like, yeah, you know, you know, you know. 
So you mentioned before that you've really redefined success recently. So tell me what you used to think of it as and what you do now. So, um, my goodness, when I used to, when I look back at what I used to write, so I, you know, I'm really into like manifestation and Mm. write being very clear in what my intention is and my focus and what is it I want for the year ahead or whatever. So, and I'll be super specific, like touring this place with this many people and that be sold out and X, Y, and Z. So, Mm. you know, it'd be like winning a Grammy or an Ivan Novello. Um, They would be the biggies, you know, selling X amount and having a disc on my wall. That's what I would consider success. So it's kind of external accolades. Yes. Right. Yes. Stamps of approval. Stamps, Stamps of approval. Yeah. And that has, I've completely just wiped that off the table. Like, wow. Because I just don't believe in that anymore at all. Well, the, the thing about that is when you rely on those external stamps of approval, if you don't get them, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. You know, so yeah. amazing that you've meant. And what, what, you know, what kind of led you to, to wipe those off the table? What was it that I just changed felt, your view? I don't know. I just felt like a lot of the, you know, I was wanting certain things to happen. And then I was just thinking, yeah, but my actions aren't aligning with what I'm saying I want. Like what I'm thinking, saying and feeling, it's not all in alignment. I'm like saying this thing, but doing this thing over here. And then I'm also just wanting these, I want, I'm wanting praise from these people over here. They don't even, I don't even know these people. So what's an example of you thinking one thing and saying another, if you, if you can think of one on the spot? Yeah, it would be me saying like, I would love to work with this producer, Yeah, for instance, but then working with somebody completely different that doesn't even make the music that I that I'm feeling, right? You know, but it's because that opportunity came to you. Because the opportunity came, and because it might lead to me getting a Grammy or this or that. I see. And so I have I hold my hands up and say like that was my thinking, right? Um, and I just had a massive shift. I read this incredible book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm like preaching about this book, <laughs> biblical. It was just monumental. Um, and now I define success is only ever an internal pursuit. Right. You know, and I have this thing which we've talked about yes. called small personal moments of success. So the success for me is now learning to produce. And when I've finished a track as much as I can, I take a minute and I'm just like, that's the success right there. At the end of that process, mm. I've dedicated myself to creating this track that I've purely done myself. And that body of work, the end point, that's the moment of success. And what, yeah, totally. And what's what's interesting is that, you know, we've talked about this, like you said, is that whatever the outcome of that process, it may not be perfect. It may not, but you're like, I did that. I set out to do it and I did it. And you and you give yourself that moment of success. And I think letting go of that judgment thing of like, oh, yeah. it's not good enough or it could yeah. be like this. And you've let that go completely. Totally let that go. And it's just... It's so freeing. Mm. You know, I feel so much more in command of my creativity. And funnily enough, I feel like even more amazing things have come since I've just been like, you know. And do you think when you say um, more amazing things, you mean creatively? Creatively. Yeah. 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 Big time. Right. Big time. You know, just writing, I've started writing for other people and that's been amazing and it's just off and doing its thing and I haven't like racked my brains like I need to write a hit I'm just like cool they need a track there you go (laughs) you know it's a very different space to be in and again the moment of success is just like cool I'm taking this time to do this thing I've done the best that I can done moment of success move on move on move on and I guess 
doing it that way without any of those kind of external constraints or whatever it's just giving yourself loads of space so much to just more space. see what bubbles up like so much more space amazing yeah and i've heard some of the stuff you're making and it is so exciting thank you it's early days but i feel so excited about it i feel really i feel so good about what's to come i don't know what that is but i'm like just me being in my space playing some tunes djing yeah you know producing i'm like this is a new era it's and and you know good on you mate for 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 setting that value where it should be you know okay so um Last question. Okay. Uh, what is the takeaway from, from all of these turning points? What would you say you know now that you didn't know then? What would you, what was the piece of wisdom that you've taken away from all of that? The main takeaway is just to like, just to follow your passion, be true to it, value it, take care of it, nurture it, love it, because it will take you to the sky and beyond. Mm. That's what I think I've I've learnt or realised. Like I knew that, but now I really now no, I really, really know. Now, <laughs> now like I know no. You know what I mean? Um I think it's it's that and just you know, having a certain element of trust and faith, but action and hustle, man. Action and hustle. It's that yeah. mix that you, you yeah. talked about at the beginning of like a bit of a bit of hustle and a bit of magic, yeah, you know. That's it. And ultimately, just do the work so that the magic can happen. Yeah, do the work. Yep. <laughs> Still true. Do the work and the okay. magic will take care of itself. Absolutely. I said last question, but I've actually got one more last, <laughs> last, last question. And Hit that me is, with it. Okay. So if, you know, if the, that turning point hadn't have happened, if that Czech Republic, elbow bumps to him, by the way. Mm-hmm, Thanks, yep. mate, wherever you are. Um hadn't have happened how do you think your life would have been different do you think you would have got to that point anyway yeah yeah I do yeah I do I think I would have I'm pretty 99.9 percent sure I would have found some way shape or form mm-hmm. I was just too like I look back now and I don't know how I'd do it if I had to do that all over again I'm not sure I could <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no I'm sure I'd find a way um but if that hadn't have happened, I'm sure it would have been something else. I would have found a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so too. Yeah. Like, knowing you, I can't imagine that you would Too have. stubborn. I'm too stubborn and determined. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great quality. Yeah. Um, so, Dre, thank you so much oh, for being a part of this. Pleasure. It means a lot. And um, it's been so brilliant talking to you, as it always is. Yeah. feel like I could talk to you all night. I but. know. It's what we normally do. It is, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, such a pleasure. Altered Fate with Abla Elshanubi is produced and edited by Amy Lee with music by Simon Little and Andrea Triana and artwork by Micah Van Neck and Richard Granger at Bunker London. If you enjoyed this interview, be sure to like and subscribe to be updated on upcoming episodes. You can also find out more info and get in touch via Instagram at underscore altered underscore fates. I'd love to hear from you.